Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Hey, I'm just going to jump right into it. We're starting something today called Flip the Switch, and uh, won't talk a whole lot about that, but we will. You you will get to understand as we as we move along. But in 1986, I was uh, planting a church in a little town called Leesville, Louisiana, uh, on the basically on the western side, central western side of Louisiana. And this particular church was actually a, a a Hispanic church. I had been invited by the local Assembly of God church there to come and start a Spanish congregation. So we had I had I had I was actually still in Bible school, but I was traveling back and forth and and had gone there to start this this church. <clears throat> and um, essentially I say it was a Latino Hispanic church, but it was actually a Puerto Rican church. Uh, I figured that out real quickly because you know the word for pastor in Spanish is pastor. You notice how I said it, pastor. Uh, but you know, I, they kept calling me something. I didn't know what they were saying. They were saying patol. I, I didn't know what patol was, you know, but <laughs> I'm speaking because I know we have a few Puerto Ricans sitting here, right? And you know, they like, they cut the S, the S is gone. S disappears in Puerto Rican Spanish and the R turns into an L, which honestly is harder to say than Anyways, anyways, that has nothing to do with anything. But uh, so we started this church, and uh, I remember, I remember uh, early on when we first started the church, uh, we were meeting in this in this in this church auditorium, this Assembly of God Church auditorium, and uh, there was a lady in our community who had been a, a, a drug addict, and she had uh, overdosed, and then hospitalized, survived the the overdose, and. Uh, and one of the ladies in our church said, hey, you need, you need God in your life. You should come to my church. So I remember specifically the day that Ida Tello walked in to our, our church service. She walked in through the back, and I saw her walk in with her husband, and immediately I knew that this person needed Jesus Christ. Just, just by her mere appearance, I knew that she needed Christ. And so at the end of the service, I made an invitation. I said, if anybody here uh, you know, wants to give their life to Jesus Christ, and there was, not a, there was a handful of people, maybe 20, 25 people there total, but uh, she, she was one of them, and she, probably she knew that I was talking to her maybe, but I, I wasn't even done at making the request, inviting them to come up for prayer when Ida just tears streaming on her cheeks, just ran to the front, fell in the, right, like right in front of the, the pulpit area and just began to cry and say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. And I remember that morning that Ida in a very gl- glorious way gave her life to Jesus Christ. It was powerful. And I know that some of you, and we, we have Lauren here, that's been her experience too, how God has transformed us, right? And he set us free and he's made us new. Well, Ida was with us for a couple of weeks there and um, very quickly we began to see some transformation happening in her life. Uh, we saw that she, she basically kicked the, she just stopped the drugs altogether. And, um, and so about two weeks into it, she said she wanted to give a testimony. Uh, you know, we, it was back in the day when, when, I would, when I would stand, I don't do that now, I'm afraid of what you're going to say. So back then I would say, I would say, anybody here want to give a testimony, come on up, you know. Well, I don't do that anymore. But Ida, and maybe Ida's the one who taught me the lesson, so I asked, anybody want to give a testimony? Ida said she shot her hand up right straight up in the air, and so I'll give a testimony. So Ida walks up, she stands behind the pulpit, and you know, she's, she's 
like she was born in Puerto Rico, but she was raised in New York City. She had lived a life of, you know, by the time she was 13, she was doing drugs and prostituting herself to be able to support the habit. I mean, that was her. So that was her, what she, she kind of still looked like that a little bit, you know? So she comes in, stands behind the pulpit, and she looks out at the audience and she starts saying, God has completely changed my life. I've kicked the habit of drugs and I'm not gonna do any more of that beep, beep, beep stuff anymore. And I'm gonna just, she kept talking, I'm not gonna, and, she, and all this is in Spanish. She's just like cussing up there. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what I do here, you know? But here's the thing, that, that, that may have not been appropriate for some sensitive ears, but it was the most powerful testimony I've ever heard in my life. You see, Ida had been a drug addict, a prostitute, her parents raised her in this, something called Santeria, which is kind of like witchcraft from the Caribbean area. Uh, but now she had a new identity. The old was gone and the new had come. And anybody, I mean, it was, it was amazing. You see, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, this is what happens. We take on a new identity. It's not about becoming a Christian and suddenly trying to figure out how to look like a Christian over time. It really is about first and foremost taking on this new identity. You have been bought with a price. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that you can do to earn your way into a relationship with God. You have been bought with a price. And what God has done is he's come into your life and he has stamped you with his seal. And he says, you belong to me now. And that's your identity and that's the identity that Ida took on. And that's what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk so much about identity today, but I want to actually jump forward. In, in the new year, we were, uh, Jairus and I, we've been talking about, you know, this sermon series, uh, thinking about, talking about identity. We'll talk about that in the new year, but I want to kind of fast forward to the other side of this identity. In Ephesians chapter four, the apostle Paul is speaking to us. We'll, we'll, we'll get to Ephesians one through three in, in the coming year, but we're gonna look at Ephesians four through six in the next several weeks. Um, the apostle Paul is, is speaking to us and he starts off chapter four with a conjunction, which is kind of an unusual way to start a, a chapter, you know, like therefore. So he starts with therefore. And the idea is, what the, Apostle, what the Apostle Paul is trying to say here is that basically this, this therefore here, this, this word, serves as a hinge between chapters one through three and four through six. So if you can think of it that way, it's a hinge, right? And so one through three, Paul is talking about your identity. Therefore, then be that, live that way, chapters four through six. Chapters one through three is all about you're loved, you're chosen, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you've been called out. Therefore, live like it, chapters four through six. And so what I wanna do is I wanna talk a little bit about that Paul's gonna give us some practical advice on how we should live based on who we are in Christ. Okay, I'm gonna say that again because that's important. God is gonna talk to us, talk to us about how we should live, not because somebody told you these are the rules, follow them, Paul's gonna to talk to us about how we should live based on who we are in Christ. What's our identity, right? So verse one, we're gonna read the whole verse. Therefore I, prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, notice that word, beg you, to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Paul uses the word beg. I don't know if you catch it. The NIV says implore. This is a, a term of passion. 
He's like, he's begging, please, he says, please, don't say you follow Jesus, but then go ahead and live however you want to live. I beg you, please, let your identity reflect in, your, in, your, in how you live. Please, he's, it's begging him. He's begging them. He's imploring on them. I think a, a, a great translation of this particular word beg is the word summon, a legal term. It's a word that we use like in court. You know, you've been summoned to court, right? To offer up evidence that stands up in court. And so essentially what the Apostle Paul is saying is I summon you to live a life that provides enough evidence that you belong to him. That's what Paul is trying to tell us in this little passage here. I summon you to live a life that provides enough compelling evidence that your identity is in Christ, that you belong to Christ. And so the question then becomes, does my life, this is a question we should be asking ourselves, does my life give evidence to my identity? Does the way I live identify me as a follower of Jesus Christ? Every person that met Ida Teo after 1986 knew that she belonged to Christ. It wasn't just her speech. It was everything changed about her. Her friends, her old friends, like she's weird. Something's different. We don't know what's going on, but we like what we see. Ida, unfortunately, after a couple of years, she, she, because of all the years of intravenous drug use, she, she had gotten AIDS. It was early on. We didn't even know it was AIDS until a few years later, but she had gotten AIDS and eventually passed away after a couple of years. But every person that knew Ida knew that she belonged to Christ. Her old identity of prostituting herself and drug addiction, that was gone. And she had, now had a new identity. And this new identity, the evidence of that new identity was how she lived. How she lived. So Paul's gonna give us some practical advice on, on these things, on how, how we should live. And it's gonna be a bit uncomfortable with the things he's gonna say. So I'm just gonna ask you to kind of brace yourself a little bit because he's gonna give us a little bit of some uncomfortable uh, language here. It's going to be hard. Verse 2, it starts with, always be humble and gentle. Now, what word do you think I have the most trouble with in this phrase right here? Huh? Humble, okay. Anybody else have a... That's right. That's the word. I, this is the word I have the most trouble with. Always. Like Paul should have said, be humble and gentle. That would be like general wisdom. That way we could all agree, yeah, we should all be humble and gentle, right? But always... Well, always means always. That makes this very, very difficult. Like I, I, like, I want to be humble and gentle with some of you, but not with all of you. And so this really raises the level of, of, this, of this challenge on the Apostle Paul, right? Like, always be humble and gentle. Really, Paul? Like when that lady just jumps in front of me and flips me off as, I, as she jumps in front of me, that's when you want me to be humble and gentle? Then? Or like last year, during all this political chaos and everybody's just yelling at each other, screaming at each other, all kinds of crazy ideas. Then? <laughs> Should I be humble and gentle then? Yes, always. So does your life, does your life have that kind of evidence? Like if somebody was to collect all of your social media posts for the last two years and then presented in court, 
Would the court make a decision that, yes, this person is humble and gentle, therefore they must be a follower of Jesus Christ? Or like if somebody could record all of your conversations, they could record all your conversations, but the only thing that actually gets recorded is not the words, because it's unintelligible, you can't hear the words. All you can hear is the tone in how you said what you said. If that was recorded, and then that was presented in court, would somebody conclude that person must belong to Jesus? This is really what Paul is talking about to us. Look, I realize that some of you are like, well, Rich, look, I, I, you know, I do, you know, want to be always humble and gentle, but man, the challenge is, is that, like, I'm, I'm just always right. That's the challenge. You know, I mean, like, I'd be humble and gentle if, if there weren't so many people that were wrong in my life. But because I'm always right, it's just, you, you cannot expect me to be humble and gentle because I'm right, they're wrong. And maybe there's truth to some of that, right? So the question to wrestle with then is, as a Christian, what's the most compelling evidence of your identity? Is it that you're right? Or is it that you're humble and gentle? See, this is an opportunity for us to give evidence of our identity. He goes on um, in verse two. He says, be patient. So he talks about humility, gentleness. Now he talks about patience. It's like he's really picking on us right now, the Apostle Paul is. Because these things are the things that we wrestle with the most, right? He says, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Like what he's saying is the evidence of patience is that you have space for other people that you disagree with and that disagree with you. That's the evidence of patience. And Paul's challenging us to have that, right? And so what if the most compelling evidence that you are in Christ isn't that you're preachy and you're, and you're just gonna tell them what it is, but that you're just patient with them, right? Now, <clears throat> In verse 17, so we're going to jump to verse 17 because Paul's going to specifically talk to us about what needs to happen so that we can flip this switch in our life, right? So that we can be patient, so we can be humble, so we can have all these, these characteristics in our life. There's a switch that needs to be flipped in our lives, right? And Paul's going to talk about that. How do we, how do we fully live out the identity that we have in Christ? How do we do that? What are the things that we need to do? And Paul's going to make it, and here's the problem, is because most of us, I talk about patience, humbleness, and, humil- and, and gentleness, and most of us immediately say, yeah, I need to work on that. I, I really need to work on that. I'm gonna try harder. I'm gonna work harder on that. Next time my, my, next time my husband says something idiotic, I'm just gonna try harder to be patient. And we, we, that's what we think, right? We think behavior modification. We think self-determination. But Paul's gonna make the argument that this transformation that we're looking for actually is a transformation. It doesn't start with our behavior, but it starts with our thinking and how we think, right? Not so much behavior, but thinking, right? In fact, the Bible challenges us to renew our minds. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that that's what we're supposed to be doing, that we're supposed to be renewing our minds. That's how this switch gets flipped in our life. And for many of us, there's a frustration we want to make these changes, but we feel like we have to really work harder. We try harder. It's what we've been taught. 
In fact, most of you that grew up in church, that's what you were taught. Look, don't do this and do that. Don't do this and do, do that. But nobody told you that the way that you could do that is by a transformation of mind. The way they told you to do it is just work harder at it. Right? So the flip that needs to get switched is our thinking. A few years ago, I was uh, working in my garage, and uh, I have this planer, and I'm, I don't claim to be a... So don't interpret what I'm about to say as, yeah, a rich man, he must really be good with working with wood, because I'm not, all right? But I, I really want to be, <laughs> but I'm not. So, so I had this planer, and I'm planing some lumber, you know, and I was trying to you know, smooth out this lumber, and while, while my planer was running, I, I hadn't put, a, there wasn't a board in it, but while it was running, and it's all in my garage, while it was running, I went over to, because I was gonna cut this board, I went over to my table saw, and I turned it on. And when I, as soon as I turned the table saw, anybody know what happened? Yeah, the breaker blew, you blew. So people know, you experts out there, just don't judge me too hard, okay? So, so the breaker goes, and I knew, I knew exactly what happened, so I, you know, lights went out, everything went out. I went down to the basement, found the breaker, flipped it back, I could hear some noise up there, so I went back up to the, to the garage, and I, you know, lights are on, everything's on, but my planer's still not working. And so I tinkered, I had, it has like this inline fuse, I tinkered with that for a little bit, and that, that wasn't it, because nor was my table saw working, and I realized that none of the outlets in my garage were working. Like, wait a minute, something's wrong. So I went back down to the basement, and I looked for the, you know, the, the, the breakers that might be blown, that switch, you know, flipped, and none of them, Right? About a week later, so, so I gave up. After trying for maybe 30 minutes, I gave up. I just got a big, long extension cord, ran to the other side of the house, plugged it into an outlet, and finished playing my wood. You know? and, and so then about a week later, so I'm like, I have no outlets that work in my garage. And about a week later, my wife says to me, she said, hey, Rich, my, my, my uh, hot iron is not working. I think it's broken. And so she went and bought a new one. Then she plugged it in, and it still didn't work. So now the outlet in our master bathroom is not working either. So the no outlets in the garage work and the master bathroom outlets aren't working. And so I'm looking at this, I'm like, something's wrong here. I don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong here. So I call uh, Tom Randall, he's an electrician that I know, and I said to Thomas, hey Tom, um, there's something wrong with my outlets, garage, you know, and all that, explain the whole thing. And he just immediately said, well, uh, is it a GFI outlet? And I'm like, uh, Sure, I don't know, what is a GFI outlet? I don't know, you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then he explained that it's, uh, you know, so those outlets that had that little switch, you know, that you can reset, you know, so I, I said, oh no, no, it's not one of those. None of them, none, of, none in the garage, nothing in the bathroom is a GFI outlet. And so now I'm frustrated, you know, it's like, okay. And he's, he's stumped a little bit, he said, well maybe it's down the line some. I'm like, I don't know what down the line means, so I don't know where to go. So anyways, we did, I just was gonna, wanted him to come to my house. He couldn't go at, come at that time. Later that week, I'm down in the basement. I'm putting uh, uh, salt in my, um, my, my water softener, and I noticed a little display on the water softener. There's no power on the display. I'm like, what? I'm selling this house. Nothing is working, you know? I'm a little frustrated. And I look at the display and I said, well, I followed the cord and I found it to the wall. And sure enough, the outlet right there was one of those, G those little fancy GFI outlets that he had talked about. And so I flipped the switch and lo and behold, every one of my outlets work. I have no idea why everything is contingent on that one, but that's what happened. 
And so I spent weeks flipping other switches and doing all that stuff and nothing was working. And I think sometimes we do that spiritually as well. Like we want a different kind of life. We want to live for Jesus, but we're flipping all these other switches, switches of guilt and shame, switches of self-determination, and I'm going to try harder, I'm going to work harder, and it works for a little while, but then it doesn't work. And so Paul's going to challenge us that real transformation, real transformation happens by taking captive our thoughts and being intentional about our thinking. Paul's going to talk about this specifically, all right? So in verse 17, he's going to compare He's going to compare thinking of those outside of Christ with those who are in Christ. Verse 17 says this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So this is what Paul's insisting on. No longer live the way the Gentiles do. That's how you used to live, but don't live that way anymore. And then he explains what that is in the futility of their thinking. So he says, I insist on this. Don't live the way, the way people outside of Christ live. I'm begging you, I'm imploring you, do not do this, he says. I insist on it. Don't confess to follow Jesus and then continue to live, you know, like those who live out, those who are outside of the church. But then he uses this phrase, the futility of their thinking. Now, maybe as you've been reading the scriptures, you come across this phrase right here, and you're like, I have no idea what that means. And most of us don't, right? What is the futility of thinking? And really, this is a switch that needs to be flipped in our lives. This kind of thinking. Let me explain it this way. <clears throat> How many of you channel surf? Like you want to watch a show, you got an evening off, you want, you want, so you're like, you're looking for something to watch on TV. So you go through all, you have, maybe you have 390 channels on your cable TV. And so you're flicking through all the channels, going through all the channels, going through all the channels, like, and then after you've done all that for like say 10, 15 minutes, what do you say to yourself? Nothing to watch. There's nothing to watch. I mean, there's 390 channels, but there's nothing to watch. Right? But you have a smart TV, so then you put on Netflix. And you open up Netflix. And Netflix, there's like 2,000 plus shows on Netflix, you know? And so you start going through those, and you see all these ads for different shows, and you turn them on, and you kind of watch the preview, and watch this preview, and watch that preview. And after 30 minutes or 45 minutes, what do you say to yourself? There's nothing to watch. (laughs) Right? I mean, there's hundreds of shows. Thousands of shows, there's hundreds of channels, but there's nothing to watch. And this is really what futility of thinking is. That there's a lot of information, a lot of entertainment, and yet nothing. Nothing that seems purposeful or meaningful. Nothing that actually gives us life. This is futility of thinking. There's a lot of options, but nothing with meaning. And so it gives a definition, I think in Paul's mind, of futility of thinking would be this. Futility think is an emptiness that comes not because there's a lack of something. There's a lot of information out there. Today, especially with the internet and, and everything out there, not because there's a lack of something, but because there's an excess of nothing. And we find ourselves just finding no meaning at all. There's a lot of information, but nothing. This is futility of thinking. Paul talks about this futility of thinking and where it leads. And first, this futility of thinking leads to this darkened understanding, he says, verse 18. They are darkened, these people that he's talking about, they're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in, in them due to the hardening of their heart. So there, there's this darkened understanding. Like there's more information than there ever has been, exponentially so. 
And yet, we don't yet find meaning. We don't yet find truth. All kinds of information, all kinds of access to information, and yet we cannot find true meaning. And that's what happens. They don't clearly see what's right and wrong. An example of darkened understanding is this story I read about this middle school teacher who was in a training session for, for you know, like teachers have to continue their, their, their education. And she's in this training session, and they tell her that suicide is at epidemic right now, and that now we need to be talking, these teachers need to be talking to their students about suicide. And they're training them on how to do that. Right, because it's, it's, it's rampant, it needs to be done. But then, in the same conversation, these trainers say, but don't mention God. Don't say God loves you. Don't say God cares for you. Don't say that God knows you by name. And this is darkened understanding. Or this college in Boston that put out a memo to all their students saying, don't say on campus, God bless you. Because if you say that, this could be interpreted as a microaggression against, against an atheist. Darken understanding. This is what darken. There's a lot of information out there, but, but no understanding, no knowledge, right? Verse, I like how Paul says this in, in, in the message. He says, I insist that there be no going along with the crowd. The empty-headed, I'm, look, these are my, not my words. These are Paul's words, okay? I did not say this. Don't go out there and tweet or say, wow, Pastor Rich is really... Tearing people up. Paul, Paul said this. <clears throat> I insist that there be no going along with the crowd, no, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they have lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. He also talks about a hardened heart. Now, a hardened heart doesn't happen all at once. This is maybe a warning for all of us that the more garbage that we take in, the easier our heart, uh, the, the faster our heart becomes hard. And so this is what happens, right? There's, we become callous to spiritual things. Verse 19 describes a, the condition of a callous heart. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are, and they are full of greed. So a hard heart is lost sensitivity, numbness to spiritual, moral things. Somewhere along the way, our hearts become hard. So Paul's talking about flipping that switch, right? That in Christ, that in Christ we have a new identity. That we don't actually have to go that direction. In Christ we have a new identity. Verse 22, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, that that's what you've been taught. Put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So all of us have this old self that, that we left behind and that we have now taken on a new identity with Christ. But then listen to how Paul says it. To be, what are, what's happening? To be made new. This is transformation, this is the transformation that he wants to do in all of our lives. He wants to make us new. He doesn't want you to be what you used to be. He wants you to be something new. But how does that happen? In the attitude of your minds, how you think. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so he makes this contrast between two ways of thinking. Verse 17 talks about the futility of thinking. Verse 23 talks about this new way of thinking. This new attitude that we have that comes from our identity in Christ. And so that's a challenge for you and I today. 
The challenge is to think. In fact, this is what I want you to do. I want you to switch your thinking from output to input. And normally when we want change in our life, we think of output. What do I need to do different? How do I need to stop doing this? How do I need to start doing that? What, what behaviors do I need to adopt into my life a lot in, a, in a more significant way and try harder, right? And we, we find ourselves just trying harder and trying harder and just never getting there. Paul is going to challenge us to switch our thinking. And I, I'm challenging you today, this week, to switch from output to input. Output to input. Like you might say, Rich, I really want to be, I really want to be gentle. Okay, I want you to be gentle too. What's your input like? What's your input like? Like if you can't get enough of that podcast or that just angry and paranoid and always saying, ranting, all kinds of crazy stuff, you're going to have a hard time being gentle if that's all you put in. Right? Or maybe you say, hey, I want to be humble, Rich. But you just, you're just caught up in consumerism. You're shopping Amazon hours on day, uh, in the day. And you're telling yourself, I just wish I had more of that. I wish, I wish my life looked more like that. And you, you're just, your mind is getting filled with it. Just all of this stuff, is, it's going to be really, really hard to be humble if that's what the input is. So switch your input. What if, what if you've paid attention to the input and you started your day with saying to yourself, I'm going to write down a few things I'm thankful for while I'm in prayer in the morning. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to every day try to spend 10 to 15 minutes a day just reading the scriptures. And if you're here and you're like, I don't really know how to do that, Rich. I'm not even sure where to start. I just want to direct you to the Bible app. If you have a smartphone, go to the Bible app. It's by YouVersion. They, it, it has all kinds of plans and very easy to navigate. All you do is pick a plan, do a five-day plan, do a seven-day plan, do a year-long plan. What if that's what you did? You began to put that as your input. What if on your way to work or on your way to school or while you're just, you know, maybe you're, you're, you're going to the grocery shop or whatever, you put Spotify on and you, you search for Bethel Music or Maverick City Worship and you just let that start soaking in your mind. You start singing the songs that we sing here. What if you did that? What if that you, you decided to focus in on the input I wonder what that would do for our output. This week, this week, I was, I was get, I had a difficult conversation and my mind was just all over the place. All over the place. And I was feeling heavy and weighted down, feeling challenged. But I have my, my phone, my, my iPhone, and it's synced to my truck. And so I decided to get, go get in my truck. I was going home, and I got in my truck, and I'm feeling this weight, this heaviness, and it automatically, as soon as I get in my truck, I started automatically, it just pops up in my playlist. And it started playing uh, an album that I have playing for Maverick City Worship. And I'm telling you, it just began, a new input started coming in. And the next thing I know, I'm just, I'm worshiping God, and I'm, weeping and I'm saying, God, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with this person's life I've been talking to. God, I just trust you. I trust you. I trust you. What if we paid more attention to the input in our life? I wonder how our output would change.